in a new series called uh, The Standing O. Uh, this series is uh, actually named by Jonathan. The reason that we called it The Standing O is uh, after the standing ovation. Anybody know what a standing ovation is? Raise your hand. Anybody know what a standing ovation is? Anybody ever had a standing ovation? Anyone? Any, really? Wow. Who else? Anyone else? Wow. Man. Okay, so you guys are out. Okay, so you've already been there. How many of you have not had a standing ovation? Anyone? Uh, raise, keep your hands raised again one more time. How many of you have not received ever a standing ovation? This will be fun. Brandy, come up here for a minute. Uh, come on. <coughs> Brandy and I were at the zoo yesterday at the same time, so I get to pick on her. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. You go ahead and sit right there. We're actually going to give Brandy this morning a standing ovation. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? This is amazing. This is this is, this is just going to, oh man, it's just going to overwhelm your heart. Okay, what's going to happen is, I'm going to sit down. Brandy, you're going to stand up and you're going to walk up these stairs, okay? And then you're going to stand here and then everybody's going to be clapping for you and you're going to go like this, okay? <laughs> All right, so this is like your day to like feel excited, okay? So I'm going to sit down and then I don't care who starts the standing ovation, but we're going to make a lot of noise in God's house today. You okay with that? Okay, so we'll see what happens, right? So as soon as I sit down, it's all you. Wait, hold on. Hold on. You don't get to go anywhere. Hold on. Hold on. How, how's that make you feel? Good? Yeah. Are you good? Yeah. Okay, so your day is, is on par. Okay, good deal. Um, thank Brandy one more time. How awesome is that? Wouldn't that be amazing to receive that every single day? What if you are? What if you're getting that every single day? One of the things that we uh, were talking about with the Standing O series is that God really is on his feet applauding for us if we know him as Lord and Savior. Isn't that amazing? That the Lord Jesus Christ literally applauds for us. He loves us when we do his work and his will. And we were talking about Romans chapter 4 and looking at this, and we were realizing how much God really truly claps for his people. He is on his feet for us. Now here's the amazing thing about what just happened. Do you realize that only one-fifth Actually, a little bit smaller than that. One-fifth of the audience has to stand for the rest of the people to stand up. Did you know that? Like, we just kind of instinctively follow, like sheep led to the slaughter, right? Some of us maybe did not want to stand up and clap for Brandy. Don't worry about it. I did. Okay, so me and you, we're buddies. Uh, but some of us, we just kind of follow suit, okay? We would call this a movement. Sometimes a movement starts when a small amount of people get baptized, and then they start kind of declaring their faith in Jesus Christ, and then a bunch of people would follow suit. They would say, wow, that's amazing. Your life is changing. I can see some really, truly spiritual fruit in your life, and I would like to be like that. How did you get that? How did you gain God's glorious applause? Well, I'm glad that you asked this morning, because we're going to talk about that. Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 8 this morning, in our Standing O series, What's important in Rome, okay, and we just didn't come up with this just to say, oh, God's clapping for you and he's applauding for you. But in the book of Romans, it was written to, okay, Roman people, okay, and we see that in the text, if we would kind of do some back study, 
Roman warriors would come home after a victory and people would actually applaud for them. They would say, yeah, you did a great job. Sometimes they were victorious and sometimes they weren't victorious. But when these Roman captains and these uh, captains, excuse me, and these soldiers started coming forward, people would say they needed an applause to keep going. Feel good, Brandy, to keep going? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. sometimes we need an applause to keep going if we've been spiritually victorious. And sometimes we need an applause to keep going if we feel like the devil has just overtaken us and overcome us. All right. So whether you were at a spiritual victory last week, or maybe you're in a boat where you're feeling just kind of spiritually defeated, let me kind of show you that God is on his feet for you. Feet, that's an anthropomorphism, okay? That's a big seminary word, or pathism, one of the two. Jonathan will correct me later for that, all right? But it's God on his feet for you, making sure that you know that it is worth it to be a Christian, and you can keep going. Say, I can keep going. I kind of believe you, okay? So uh, hopefully after this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really hear it. Go to Romans chapter 4. I'm going to give you two examples this morning. Abraham's going to be our first example. David's going to be our second example. Both Old Testament biblical characters. And then we're going to go ahead and we're going to move into some really practical application. Let's start with the first example, which is Abraham. Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, it says this. What shall we say was gained by Abraham? Interesting, if you're uh, a, a circler or whatever in your Bible, I circled the word Abraham. Anytime the Bible starts to talk about somebody in the Old Testament, we really pay attention to that because they're showing a model of what is about to be spoken about. What shall we say then, Romans 4, verse 1, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. If Abraham was justified, another key word there, by works, he's got something to boast about, but only before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham, he believed, another key word, so there's three under, or circles right there. Abraham justified, believed, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as church, what? Righteousness, okay? Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Okay, so let's look at the very first one. The very first example you have there is going to be Father Abraham. Jeff, I'm going to let you control this today, okay, buddy? So Father Abraham is going to be our first one. If anybody gets a standing ovation in the Old Testament, it's got to be Abraham. Abraham was one guy who really lived his life based off of faith. Let's look at the works that Abraham really did or accomplished based off of what Paul says in the text. Paul says, Romans 4, 2, if Abraham was justified by his works, he gets something to boast about. Now look, Abraham knew in his mind that everything he received and all the things he did were from the Lord. And he put it into action through his hands and feet. So Abraham's faith, okay, watch this, is his knowledge in his mind leading to application in his hands and feet to the people. You've got some notes there on your outline, and let me fill in just a little bit of how this works with Abraham. The first thing we see about Abraham was that he was commissioned in Genesis chapter 12. 
Abraham was commissioned to do God's work because he left his parents and he started to live his life based on God's call. There was a time in your life when God had specifically commissioned you and you either accepted that commission and you said, yes, I choose to live my life based off of what the word of God says and I'm going to do exactly what Christ wants me to do because he died on the cross for my sin or you rejected that and now you're choosing to live in sin and you're not committed to a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is a kind of aha moment in this that you can accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today and start to live a commissioned life. Matthew chapter 28 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all the things that I have commanded you. That New Testament principle is an Old Testament command. Abraham lived that out. Look at number two. Not only was he commissioned, but Abraham was committed. He said, I'm not just going to do half of what God wants me to do. I'm going to do all of what God wants me to do. Genesis chapter 13, we see that Abraham separates from Lot. If you remember Lot in the Old Testament, they had kind of this conversation. And there was two paths that they could take. One could take the left or the right, and the other one could take the left or the right. And so what happened was, Abraham says, Lot, you decide which way that you want to go, and I'll take whatever's left over. So Lot looks at it, and he sees all this kind of green land and pastures and all of this kind of stuff that really is uh, uh, pleasing to the eye. He says, wow, I want to take that because it looks like God is blessing that. So Lot goes ahead, and he takes all this kind of green grass and all this good land and all that other stuff. And Abraham, he's kind of left with whatever's left over. But Abraham knew in order to live a committed life for God the Father, he had to take what God gave him and use it for his glory. So Abraham says, God will provide in my needs, in all my circumstances, in all of my situations. I don't want to live just half of the way God wants me to live. I want to live all of the way God wants me to live. Much like us today. Look at the third thing though. What happened was because Abraham was commissioned, because Abraham was committed, he knew that there was going to have to be some sacrifices that take place in his life. He understood based off of Hebrews 7 and Genesis chapter 2 that he would have to do some things that were a little bit uncomfortable. So we see Abraham start this. With Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7, Genesis chapter 22, he's going to give his money. He says, I'm going to give my money to the king because I realize it's not about me. It's about what God wants me to do and he wants me to sacrifice. Genesis chapter 2, we see that he offers his son on the altar. How hard would it be if God looked at you and said, I want you to kill your son? Some of you are like, easy. I'll do it right now. Okay. Some of you are like, wait, hold on, they're being good this week, right? But Abraham knew he had to sacrifice, and that meant that God asked him to do specific things at specific times for his glory and not Abraham's glory. And what does he do? He does it. What ultimately gets created, let me give you another thing, is that he starts to become set apart for the gospel, which is the truth from God that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and he gives us a better way. We see ultimately that all of those things, Abraham goes into a covenant relationship with God. 
not just a God, like the gods of Baal and all these other things in the Old Testament. He goes into a relationship with the living God. He gets into this big uh, kind of ordeal where he doesn't boast about anything that he does. He looks at the people and he says, if you've seen anything from me that resembles a good work, a good attitude, a powerful situation, a powerful circumstance, then I want you to know that that's God working through me because we're in a relationship. So it causes the Lord, ready for this, to stand up and applaud for Abraham because he's justified by his faith. Okay, so it's this delicate balance between what Abraham knew. I'm going to know what the Lord tells me to do, and then I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Ultimately, the last thing on that very first point for you this morning is that that means Abraham is faithful. Abraham is faithful in the fact, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. I'm going to read this to you this morning. He says, and he believed in the Lord. He didn't believe in Baal. He didn't believe in his BMW. He doesn't believe in his house. He doesn't believe in anything else but God, the living God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So he is declared righteous because of his faith. And it took years, okay? Abraham, ready for this? Our older congregation. It didn't start until he was much, much older, Okay, so Abraham's faith really gets accelerated in his older years. He goes into a relationship with the Lord and he lives out the faith that God told him to live out. He believed, he trusted, and as James says, he is called, Abraham is called a friend of God. A friend of the Lord, that's what Abraham's called. Now, the crazy thing about Abraham's life that we can't pass over this morning. Pass over, get it? That's an Old Testament joke. But we look at this and we would see that he was an imperfect individual still living out a life that honored the Lord. In other words, God still applauded for Abraham even though he was a work in progress. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a work in progress. It's the biggest truth that you murmured this morning, okay? Don't forget that. Whoever just mumbled that to you, hold them accountable with it, all right? Because watch this. Abraham, Genesis 12, he lies about Sarah. He's not really proud of his wife. Isn't that amazing? They're like, hey, is this your wife? He says, no, I don't know this girl. She's my sister. What a funny guy. Who would do that? Not me. I would never do, never do such a thing, okay? He also takes Hagar, who's his servant, Genesis 16, and he has a son with her, okay? Some of these things just boggle our mind with Abraham. But watch this. This is so important for us this morning. His faith justified him perfectly, regardless of his shortcomings, because he was teachable and trainable in God's sight. Are you teachable and trainable in God's sight, or are you stubborn and ignorant? I really use that word, because some of the time, God looks at us and he says, that's who we are. Abraham had strong faith, and it came when years of living out obedience I would say that Abraham limped his way to his legacy. He constantly knew that he fell short, but he looked at the Lord and he said, I believe that you can do great things through me and through my work, my hands and feet, if I would just follow you, even though I stumble on the way. His faith produced a good work, which took time. Let's take some application from this, okay? A commissioned committed, sacrificial, set-apart, faithful life does not always come in an instant. Can you just breathe out? Because that is good news. Just, ah, right? 
It doesn't come in an instant. I think sometimes we accept Jesus and we think, man, my life is going to be great. I'm going to kick addictions. I'm going to finally start loving my wife and my kids. I'm going to overcome anger issues and emotional things that are going on in my life. But to gain God's glorious applause starts with walking with a limp. Understanding that you have shortcomings and situations and circumstances that just are out of line with what God had specifically set in store for you at the start. So we start to walk with a limp, or we would accept a need for restoration, and that would lead us to running at a heavenly pace, which is eternal life. Look, I want to show you specifically this morning how Abraham, yes, Father Abraham's life can be just like your life, okay? First thing, Jeff already gave it to you, is that we don't boast in anything except for what God has done through us. We wouldn't sit there, we wouldn't say we want to be puffed up. We don't want to sit there and say, man, we're just on fire for for Jesus and look at how great I am. God's ovation is never self-imposed. Now, pause, because this is important for us as a congregation to understand. That does not mean that you have humility that is false. So in other words, if God has commissioned you to actually do something, you don't look at it and say, oh, that wasn't me, that was Jesus. That's false humility. You would say, man, God has gifted me and equipped me to do this specific task. Never be ashamed of the gift God has given you. Never look at it and say, man, oh, it's just me. It's just this. It's just that. Take the credit and give it back to God for the way that he has gifted you. But don't self-impose it. If we self-impose God's ovation, it leads to discouragement. It leads to a false identity. It means that we have one foot in the world and one foot in God's word. And what does that ultimately mean for us in Revelation? God hates people like that. I would rather you be hot or cold. It's almost if God sits down and he says, I can't work with you because you got one foot in the world and you got one foot in the word and you got me that you think is applauding for you and you on the other side, you're just sitting there saying, everybody should be applauding for you. It's this hypocritical dance, okay? So if we boast in ourselves and not God, it's going to lead to a couple of things. I'm going to run these through real quickly. It will lead to a lack of focus. In other words, it's going to say, man, that's all about me. And if things are all about me, where's the room for Jesus? It would lead to comparison. Pride and jealousy have no place in the kingdom of God. If I boast in anything besides Jesus Christ, I'll get prideful and I'll get jealous. Now, Some of that, we look at it and we would say that this happens when we're living out what we're not supposed to do and what we want to do that our neighbor is doing, okay? So this may hit home for some of you. Maybe some of you live in communities and neighborhoods where you are constantly under observation of your neighbors. I'll take this a step further because that probably doesn't fit with you. Some of you are on Facebook staring at somebody every single day, every single week, watching every single move that they make. Oh, some of you are like, okay, now this makes sense, okay? If we were to be honest with each other, we would say that some of that comes from a desiring to not be who God has led us to be, but I want to be somebody who is not myself. So we watch their pictures they put on Facebook. We watch all their, um, oh man, all their comments, all their suggestions, all this other garbage, and we try to mimic our life off of their life, don't we? 
And what happens is that leads to pridefulness and it leads to jealousy, and that has no purpose in the kingdom of God. It also leads to, watch this, because I've seen this over and over and over again, it leads to an insecurity. If we covet what our neighbor has, and that could be the way they're wired, the way they're gifted, the stuff they have, the wife they have, all the other things in the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament, we start to become very, very insecure individuals. Once we become insecure, we have zero confidence. Once we become people with no confidence, we cannot build God's kingdom because we fail to see how God has gifted us. True confidence only comes from Christ. If you find yourself, either on an online world or a real-life world, that you're staring at somebody and you're trying to mimic that person's actual life, that person's identity, that what makes that person tick, you will become somebody who becomes very depressed very quickly. It's interesting, I'll give you just kind of a hindsight for us with pastors. We kind of like to sit down with other pastors. I'm one of those guys that really don't because I got the tendency to start looking at what other people are doing and putting it into my own ministry and it just never ends well. Because I always realize that Community Gospel Church is a little bit different ministry. And we baptize people here and we have people who come into the the baptismal and all this other stuff and it's their story and I want to make sure we're focused on their story of restoration. And so some of the times we would look at it and we would say, wow, what are you doing? And what are you doing? And what are you doing? And that's good for a season, but we have to come back and say, hey, how does this fit with our specific community? And if it doesn't have a place in our community, we don't have to use it. Okay, so some of the latest, greatest curriculum that came out in church world from California or Colorado, that may be really good stuff, but it may have no purpose for us as farmers in Indiana. Right. So some of the times we look at this stuff and we say we want to be who God has called us to be. And we don't want to be insecure. We want to be people who are full of compassion. And we want to keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we want to have the right identity. And that comes from how God has gifted us as a specific church. And let me tell you something. We're doing a great job at this. Amen? I mean, we're becoming community gospel church. We have a little bit different feel in the community. People are starting to take note. I had a conversation with a guy just a little bit ago, and he was talking about our egg hunt. And he says, just give me all your resources and all the stuff you did. And I said, hey, listen, I could do that, and I will do that if you want me to do that. But when, I, when you look at it, you're going to see imprints of Community Gospel Church. And let me tell you what, you don't have a church of people like I have who serve. 95% of our community serves. Do you know that? He looked at me, he says, like 20% of our people serve. I said, I can't throw an egg hunt for 1,000 people with 20% serving. i got to have the whole team on board. And he's like, well, how'd you do that? I said, you got to love them. <laughs> and you got to teach them the word, okay? And I looked at him and I said, so don't implement what we have actually ordained, go ahead and seek out what makes you, you, okay? So we looked at that and we said, we want to have our own identity. Looking at it on a personal level, my self-worth, my self-esteem, my security, my value only comes through who I am in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who you are in Jesus Christ? Do you honestly know who you are in Jesus Christ? Do you know how God has gifted you? Do you know how God has worked in you and through you? Are you comfortable with that? Are you happy with that? Have you ever praised God that he has gifted you the way that he has gifted you and not the way that he has gifted somebody else? There's some times when I look at other people because let me tell you what, little tiny kids in me, I can play with them for about 10 minutes and then I want to go somewhere else, okay? 
Put me on the stage in front of a thousand people, walk in the park, stick me in a group full of 20 little kids running around, and I'd go crazy. I mean, I'll be screaming. Bethany was laughing at me the other day because as we were having dinner time, I put earplugs in my ears because my kids are so loud, okay? I mean, I, and it, let me tell you something. Bethany goes, you're a much happier person when you can't hear everybody screaming in your ear, all right? God has gifted us certain ways with certain abilities, all right? We are called to be sacrificially set apart, faithful, giving credit to God in all areas. Let me give you one more on application side. Watch your works righteousness. This is called legalism, but it's very, very crucial for us today, okay? Live through faith. I'm going to give you just a little bit more insight in our, um, in our home about how the Muck family works because it's hilarious. We should have a reality TV show if you want the truth because it is funny in our house. But sometimes, Bethany and I, we play the, um, the I did this, so I get this game. You guys ever play that? Husbands and wives, you guys ever do that? I fed uh, Gianna this morning, so therefore I don't have to feed Gianna at lunch. Any of you guys ever done that? Okay. I, I uh, cleaned the dishes this morning, and so therefore I don't have to clean the dishes at, at dinner time. Am I alone in this fight, or is there anybody else who feels my pain? Okay, good. Okay. What I've come to realize, and this is a hard thing for me to realize, but true love is seeking each other's best, and I wish Bethany was in the nursery today so she didn't have to hear this, but true love is seeking each other's best. It doesn't matter how many times I've done the dishes. It doesn't matter how many times I've changed those dirty diapers, okay? It's still my opportunity, not an obligation, to continue to show love for my spouse and my kids by doing what is needed to be done. Make sense? Okay, now I can't sit there and say, I'm going to tally up all the times that I have done this, and then when we have an argument, I get to throw it back in your face, okay? And she looks at me and says, this makes no sense because she goes, I birthed these two kids, and I almost died, okay? And if I was honest, she wins, okay? She wins. So, God is not impressed. How does that relate? Well, God is not impressed with an obtainment of knowledge without application. Nor is he interested in all of our works that we did to try to be righteous before him. A committed, commissioned, sacrificial, set-apart, faithful life learns than it does. It learns what the Word of God says, and then it does it. It learns what the Word of God says, and then it does it. The righteous, who God applauds for, our church, are people who learn, live it out, and then give credit back to God. I learned this morning about Proverbs 31 and what a true woman of righteousness looks like. I live it out by saying, I'm going to stay married to her. And then we're going to go ahead and we're going to praise God because he has brought us together and give credit back to him. That's just a simple application. But as a church, we learn, we live it out, and we come back and give credit to God. We bring the impacted, okay? What did you learn this week that you're going to live out this whole entire week, and then you're going to come back and you're going to give credit to God for, okay? This is shown repeatedly in Abraham's life. Okay, Abraham's a little older, so let's hit some of you younger people. Let's talk about David for a second, okay? Let's talk about David for a second. These two guys, David and Abraham, both gained God's applause without working for it. Their acts of works, their acts of righteousness, were simply examples of how God was working in their heart and working in their mind and working in their life. Let me give you another example. We're going to skip a few verses and go to Romans chapter 4, verse 6. 
Just as David, verse 6 says, also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works, quoting an Old Testament passage in the book of Psalm, uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 7 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered, and blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Okay? So Paul says that a person like David was one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. This means that David, like Abraham, was sanctified, and all that means is he was set apart, commissioned, committed to do God's work in his relationship with the Lord. David, above anybody else, knew that his sins were forgiven. He lived it out in his leadership, and then he gives credit back to God. He is the pinnacle of the person who is the exact representation of how Jesus operates, but Jesus has no sin, David has sin. So David is somebody that we could emulate very realistically in our culture today. We could say that we learn about how our sins are forgiven and what the Bible says on how we are to proceed. We live it out in the leadership that we have in our workplaces, in our communities, in our families, with our kids, and then we give credit back to the Lord. Therefore, God applauds or gives credit to David in a few ways. Well, watch this, okay? Let me show you the first one. You got some notes there? And look at David's life. The first thing that we see is David receives, like Abraham, a blessing, okay? David learned to remove himself from the equation, insert God into his actions, receive God's favor, and then gave credit back to God. He didn't work for it. It was always at his disposal, when he was living a life that was focused on the Lord. Church, hear me. You have the opportunity to have at your disposal the Holy Spirit who is giving you access to God the Father to live a life that would please the Lord and he gives you the opportunity to give credit back to him. You, like David, have received a blessing. Nudge your neighbor, say, you received a blessing. Okay, that was kind of good. Nudge your neighbor again and say, you received a blessing. See, I think we forget that as a church. We forget that we received something that David didn't get and that Abraham didn't get. Do you realize that? You, if you are a child of God, received faith, trusted in Christ, you have the spirit of God inside you that David built a temple for. That Abraham had the opportunity not even to know like we know, okay? We have been gifted, I don't think we realize this, more than David and more than Abraham. And so therefore it's our opportunity to, number two, receive that forgiveness from God. So we would look at this and we would say that David removed himself from the equation again, inserts God's forgiveness to overcome, gives credit back to God for overcoming sinful endeavors. Have you made a mistake? Have you failed? Are you letting that failure deter you from becoming who God wants you to be? Is your past dictating who your future is or what your future is all about? Are you living in a state of regret? God says, I don't want you to stay on the floor. I want you to understand that I can restore you to get up and do what you're called and commissioned to do. I learned this really quick when I started speaking. There was one time Man, I bombed like you would not believe, and it was funny because Jonathan was actually there. We were at this camp in Peoria, 
And uh, we had built the whole camp. We had way too much on our plate. I mean, we built this whole thing, and we got all of these speakers, and we had all this, like, music and all this other stuff. It was funny because it started raining that weekend, and all the power kicks out. So we're, like, scrambling, like, what are we going to do? So we got this big old John Deere tractor. We put it in the back of the quote-unquote sanctuary, and it's running full throttle, just wah, 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 pumping all this electricity to this camp, right? Jonathan's up there leading worship. We have no idea what he's singing about because you can't hear him over the generator. And we're just sitting there. We're like, yeah, absolutely praise Jesus. Watermelon, 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 you know? He has no idea what, that we have no clue what he's saying. The projectors didn't work. Everything that you could go wrong in a camp went wrong. So I get up there and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to speak and all these students are just going to be so impacted. It's going to be awesome. And I bombed. Oh my goodness. I got done. I was like, whoa, I quit. I'm done. Never speaking ever again in my whole entire life. And the students are sitting there going, who are you? How did you get to this place? We don't even like you. We want to go home. And they're sitting there staring at me like, Bring somebody better next year because you don't even have electricity. I can't even text my friends, okay? Now, the funny thing was, I looked at, I'll never forget that night because Jonathan and I, we actually slept on the slab of concrete because our dorm smelled so bad from all of these teenagers being in this facility by themselves. They hadn't gotten a shower for like two or three days because we didn't have electricity, so we go into this dorm, and we're like, we're not sleeping in here, we're going out. So we went out, and we slept on this slab, and he left me there because he went and ran in the morning, no hard feelings. But um, so I'm sitting there, and I'll never forget that I'm laying there, I'm like, Lord, I bombed. I, I just didn't do a good job, I didn't, you know, and he says, so you're going to quit? I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to quit, I think I'm done, let's box it up, let's leave. And uh, he says, Really? Like, I've called you and I've commissioned you to do something, and you don't think you're going to fail in the process? It kind of hurt. I said, okay, I'll try it again in like three months, <laughs> all right? But God says, I want you to receive forgiveness when there's some things in your life that just don't seem to work out 100%. Or maybe you're the cause of the things not working out 100%. We got to give credit back to God. Psalm 32, verse 2 says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit why did i bring that up well first of all you need to know some background information about psalm 32 this psalm is written after david's sin with bathsheba and the fact that he murders uriah you realize that david sees his shortcomings as he's writing this psalm you realize that david king david the leader in the old testament he broke three out of the ten commandments David was one of the people who Paul would have had a big running for in the chief of sinners. And David looks at it and he says, man, I've committed adultery, I've murdered, I've coveted my neighbor's wife. And let me tell you what, in the Old Testament, David sins, there was no sacrifice for the first two. So David lives a life without sacrifice, which in the Old Testament would be looked at as something that he couldn't move on, he couldn't move forward. But David understood that forgiveness was implanted in his sin, when he sought out the Lord. So David goes to God and he says, I want you to know that uh, there, was, there, there was just things that I did that I couldn't get right with myself, and only you could come in and make these things right. What are some of the things that are going on in your life that you look at and you say, man, these things are wrong, I can't write them myself, only God can write some of these things. The Lord Jesus Christ wants to restore some relationships with his own power and not 
your own self-influence power, okay? So does this mean, and I, I would think about this just a little bit, does this mean I get to sin all I want? I mean, it sounds like from what Paul is saying and from what David says and what Abraham says, I could just go ahead and sin, and then God forgives me of my sin, right? When I read the Bible in, in high school, man, I was like, this is my verse, okay? I get to sin, and then I can just be forgiven for it. Well, well hold on a second. Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No way. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Romans chapter 6. How can you who have been restored in a relationship with Jesus Christ keep on sinning? He says, if you're seeking the Lord, you're understanding this thing called grace. And there's the third thing that we need this morning with David. That he receives some grace. What do we mean by that? Well, watch this. David knew he was charged with sin, but under grace, there is no condemnation. So he learned about receiving God's grace, which is an undeserved favor, lives it out in his leadership, shows other people that same grace, that same undeserved favor, and then ultimately gives credit back to God, not for himself, which leads to dominating for Jesus Christ. You want to dominate for the Lord Jesus Christ in your workplace, in your homes, in your schools, with your family, with your friends? Then you will go to a point to where you receive God's grace. In other words, there's forgiveness for past sins and remissions for that. And you would live it out in the leadership that you have with the people who are in front of you. And then you give credit back to God. How can we not lift our hands and clap our hands and sing into Jesus Christ when he has forgiven us of our sins, cleansed us from all unrighteousness, and given us the opportunity to lead people in that same grace? How can we harbor feelings towards other people when God doesn't harbor feelings towards us? How can we have some of these emotions and look at it and say, man, I don't like you or I don't, I don't get along with you when God looks at us and he says, but hold on a second, have you realized our relationship and in our relationship, you're to emulate that in other people's relationship. Blessing, forgiveness, and grace, when learned about and lived out, lead to dominating for the Lord. Some of you have just received the blessing, received forgiveness, and received grace, and failed to give it out as well. If I want to really, truly understand blessing, forgiveness, and grace, then I must find people who are deserving of that. And maybe that's some people that you wronged. And maybe that's some people who wronged you. That's what David does constantly. Let me show you some application with some of that, okay? And this is going to be really simple, okay? But first and foremost, you received grace, okay? You received grace. And understand that that is part of a blessing. So we don't trust our own worth. We trust in the fact that Christ gives us worth through the ability to know him and do exactly what he designed us to do, how you're gifted, and when we are gifted properly in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we live it out in faith. Really, Lord, you want me to take care of little kids? Yes. So some of that uncertainty comes when we first start walking with Christ, okay? I don't know if I can do this, but I feel called to this place. A lot of our missionaries that we support at Community Gospel Church, they got to the place where they felt God was calling uh, uh, them to this, this mission field, okay? They felt like God had called them to this place, and they were very uncertain with going out and doing what God called them to do. But they said, I don't know if I can do this on my own, but I feel called to this place, and where I go, Christ will come with me. Second thing is that you receive forgiveness, Romans chapter 4, verse 7. So we don't go back to our own shortcomings for the reason in which God doesn't use us. 
or reasonings why we're not being used. Oh, Lord, I failed here. I messed up here. I didn't do the right thing here. God says, I know, I understand because I know all things, but I want to use you and you need to know that I forgave you. I love you and that you can live a life of faith like David and Abraham. So David knew that the past doesn't dictate the future. Do you know that the past doesn't dictate the future? Do you understand that? Have you received that? Have you acted upon that? That the past doesn't dictate the future. Past shortcomings are learning for future strengths. Let me ask you just a quick question. Where are you weak? Because in some of our weaknesses, that is where God wants to make us strong. Sometimes God can take our weaknesses and he can make us strong in that regard. And sometimes God positions people in your life where they will make you strong in that area. (laughs) Let me give you an example from our life just one more time. I'm a very application-oriented person, okay? I read the Bible, and I instantaneously want to go live it out. I just think that that's just, that's just how you should do it, okay? My mind is very fixated on, this is what the Bible says, let's go do it. Take care of the sick, the widows, the homeless. Let's go find some sick widows and homeless people, and let's give them hugs. That's just how my life works. That's how I operate. Bethany, on the other hand, she is a very academically or um, kind of wired person. So she loves to sit down and read. And um, I I think the word you women use is process. You like to process, right? So she loves kind of to study and go through the text, okay? So when I sit there and I tell her, we need to go take care of widows and orphans, babe. Come on, jump in the car. Let's do this. She looks at me and she says, have you read that passage of scripture? Have you meditated on it? Are you seeking God with all of your heart? I said, Bethany, get in the car. Come on, we gotta go. Get in the car. She's like, no, have, have you thought about it? Have you, have you cross-referenced everything in your Bible? Do you know exactly what that says and what that means? Get in the car. Spiritual leader of the household, hon. Car, okay? <laughs> so we look at this and we say, and we just were having this conversation the other day at the zoo. We were, we, it was interesting. We were talking about this. She was telling me where to park and we were having this biblical dialogue in our van, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the spot, and she's trying to figure out who's going to move from the spot, okay? And uh, she looked at me, and I looked at her, and, and uh, she says, isn't this amazing? This is how God has positioned us in the right place in our marriage, where you want to do one thing, and I want to do another thing. We balance each other out. The funny thing was, most of the time, it ends in an argument and a fight, <laughs> okay? But yesterday, it didn't. We got to the place where we were like, wow, that's really true. So Look at this spouses, people who, uh, you guys who are in relationships, okay? Where you're weak, maybe your spouse is strong in. Where your spouse is weak, maybe you're strong in. Be really careful about approaching your spouse, telling her where she's weak, okay? It can get you into some trouble sometimes. So there's right places for that to happen. We call this tact, all right? But ultimately, understand there's no condemnation. Romans chapter 4, verse 8. Past, present, future sins, paid for. This is the great exchange of Romans chapter 4. You fell short. So did everybody else in this house. You messed up, so did we, okay? But remember, to gain God's applause, start when we believe that God is for us. He equips us. He restores us to become new when we accept the gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus' blood sacrificed for your sin. He's a good God. Absolutely, 100%. Blessing, forgiveness, and grace, when learned about and lived out, lead to uh, domination. I want to read you one more verse. Romans chapter 6. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live a life in it? Let me give you the last point, and I'm going to hope that I can show you a really quick video. 
gaining God's glorious applause. I'm just going to give you a really quick application here. Abraham and David are justified not because they worked for God's favor, but because they trusted in the Lord and they trusted in faith that he could do anything that he wants to do through vessels like them. So they learned, they lived out that knowledge, they give credit back to God. They learned, okay, academic side, okay, kind of how Bethany's wired. They learned what the text says. They lived it out, kind of how I'm wired, okay? They live out what the text says. They give credit back to the Lord, all right? So there's a balance between the two of those. When we get lopsided in one of those things, we really get to a place that God just kind of looks at us. He says, hold on a second, all right? But this is contradictory to the way human thinking is in our culture today. A lot of people think, man, if I just work for it, I get it. If I just would work for this, I get it, okay? It's not the way it works. We might know this, okay? You might know this stuff, but let me ask you a really key question for this morning. Have you lived it out? Have you watched this manifested in your own life? Have you seen people understand restoration? Have you seen people understand their giftedness? Have you watched your spouse, your kids, your your workplace, your co-workers, have you seen them really understand restoration and then ultimately use their gifts for the Lord? I'll give you a couple of things. This is a balance, okay? First of all, justification is known in an instant, yet it takes a lifetime to comprehend. Justification is known in an instant, but it takes a lifetime to comprehend. Titus chapter 3, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, he saved us by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Spirit. Let me give you a second thing, okay? Keep it simple. Keep it simple. We love, love, love to complicate what God wants us to do. It's very simple to honor the Lord, okay? Don't make it this big, complex thing. Sometimes God wants you to tip your waitress. Sometimes God wants you to take her home if you're a girl, and he wants you to take care of her, and he wants you to provide for her kids, and he asks you to do these monumental things, okay? But most of the time, it's very simple, all right? So, so let's watch not complicating uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you just real quick application, because this kind of sums up everything that we talked about. Where is there sin in your life? Where is there sin in your life? Eliminate it. Where is there no grace in your life? Release it. And where is there no gospel? Deliver it. I'm going to play a really quick video for you. It's really not that quick, but um, I want to show this to you. This is a great example of Abraham and his son and the offering of his son. This just goes along so well with what we're talking about because at the end of the video, you're going to see smoke that's pouring up from the altar. And, and uh, let, me, let me tell you something. Um, what, what happens is when you see that smoke pouring up off the altar, I want you to visualize in your mind that God instantaneously gets on his feet and claps for what just happened because Abraham learned it, he lived it, and then he gives credit back to the Lord. Here you go. 